Uh, good morning, everybody. Is this okay? Is this all right? I, I, I'm really paranoid about using microphones like this one, because when I was a pastor, my senior pastor used to disallow me from ever using one of these, because he said it made me sound like I had a lisp. So I don't know if, 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 if your pastor has slight issues with sort of, you know, uh, ADD or whatever it is, then um, as my pastor did, then uh, it, it may get taken off me at some point. Um, it's great to be with you all this morning, and thank you so much to your pastors for having me. And um, yeah, I, I don't organize coach trips for a living. That's not what I do. Um, but, um, but yeah, I've known Barry and Vicky for a few years now, and I, I just want to honor your pastors. Um, I, they're taking you on a very exciting journey, you know, to be here, uh, having moved from, uh, is it called the Pyramid um, you know, where you were before, you're, you're on a fantastic journey. There's something spiritual about taking ground. Uh, it gives you an authority. It gives you, uh, you're putting a stake in the ground. Um, and I love the beginning of Joshua because Joshua is all about taking possession. Um, and you guys as a church are taking possession of, of, of a spiritual ground in Warrington and saying that this is ours. This is where we belong. Um, and, and God's encouragement in the beginning of Joshua is just be strong, be faithful, um, keep going. Um, just remember his words, honor him, and uh, you know, trust in your leaders. They are doing a phenomenal job, and I just want to thank you, Barry and Vicky, for um, your friendship, uh, for your heart towards Anna and I, and also just for this fantastic church that you're leading. Can we give Barry and Vicky a round of applause this morning? Let's encourage them. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of my background. So I used to pastor a church in Liverpool, as you can tell from the way that I talk, and uh, Hope City Church in Liverpool. I'm actually from London originally, so I'm still waiting for the call to appear on EastEnders, um, but they've not called me yet. Um, but uh, yeah, my wife and I, we live in Liverpool. We've moved here uh, in 2009. We were pastoring in Sheffield, came over to take over the Liverpool location. Um, Things have changed. Things have, uh, I'm now working for a company uh, called Genesis. It's a financial education company. And the CEO of that business has actually spoken here too. He's called Jeff Letts. Um, and he's a great guy. He serves on the board at Hillsong down in London. Um, and we're building a business that's really helping families make sense of their money so that they can become debt-free and financially independent. Um, and we do it through education and planning and raising up leaders who can actually help go and help more families uh, with their finances. Um, and so Jeff and I have been doing that now for uh, a few years. Jeff and the business has been running for 10 years, and I've been working with Jeff for about five of those. So it's been a great privilege to work with him. Um, and Barry and Vicky just asked me to come and share a little bit of my heart this morning um, around the area of finance. Now, you've got to help me out. Because when we talk about money in church, it goes really, really quiet, okay? Um, it's almost a taboo subject. You know, sex and money are the things we Brits don't like to talk about at all. So I'm tackling one of them this morning. Only one, you'll be pleased to know. Not both of them. Um, but, but don't go quiet and in your shell. Um, just to encourage you, the Bible talks about prayer 500 times, talks about faith about 500 times, and talks about money 3,500 times. So if you're a Bible reader, you're going to love this morning. Um, because we're right on point with um, a message that is in throughout the whole of the Bible. And I think God talks about money a lot. Because he knows it's very close to our heart. Um, which is why I guess it goes quiet in church. Because it's kind of, we're, we're dealing with some heart issues. Gosh, it sounds really heavy already, doesn't it? Oh no, I've done, I've done completely the wrong thing. Um, 
But I, I want to start actually by just, just getting you to think uh, a little bit about this. That you know and I know that God is the God of abundance. Um, there are many passages in the Bible that talk about just how um, lavish and extravagant our God is and how he's not short of resources. Um, I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And in, in one of the translations, immeasurably more is exceedingly abundantly. That's how it's translated. Exceedingly abundantly. It's almost like God uses a highlighter pen and gives us a double whammy. It's like, look, this isn't just about abundance. It's about exceeding abundance. I mean, abundance is a pretty cool word anyway, because there's, no, there's no limit to God. But to then say it's exceedingly abundant is mind-blowing, yeah. that, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than anything that we can ask and anything that we can even imagine. I think he sometimes laughs at how small our thoughts are, at how limited we, we box ourselves in when he's trying to open our thinking so that there are no constraints and no limitations. I mean, now look, we're in good company. He even had to drag Abraham out of a tent and make him look up at the stars to show him how many descendants he'd have. Even Abraham was a small thinker till God got a hold of him and said, just look up. We know, don't we, from creation that God is a God of abundance. Just think about the stars for a moment, right, and, and the Milky Way. Have you ever done that? I went camping with uh, my daughters last summer. They'd always wanted to camp, and I'd always put it off, <laughs> being a good dad. Um, no, you're not old enough yet. No, you're not old enough yet. My daughters are now 35. And, no, 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 they're not. Um, so we went camping, and um, it was a beautiful day in the Lake District. Um, we had a little two-man tent. And um, we'd had a good day. We'd done a bit of walking. We'd, we'd, um, we'd really been roughing it. We went to the pub for tea. And, uh, and, and, and then we went back to the campsite. It was one of those nights, just beautiful, clear sky. And I knew it was getting cold and going to get a lot colder. So I just rushed back to the tent, dived right in, started putting on all my layers, getting in the, getting in the sleeping bag. I'm thinking, where's Zoe? And she, she was stood outside, and she's, Dad, come out here. I'm like, Zola, I'm, 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 I've got my boots off now. I'm staying in, thanks, sweetheart. She says, no, Dad, you've really got to come out and see this. I'm thinking, what on earth is it? I said, look, do I really have to? I'm kind of ready for bed. Let's just, let's just go to sleep. She says, no, Dad, you've got to come outside. So I went outside, and she's just staring up at the sky. And she could see stars like she never sees them in Liverpool. And she was just blown away. Um, but it's quite cool, isn't it? When you see the creation through a child's eyes, you suddenly remember what it's actually like to appreciate the God of creation. We've sung about it this morning. You know, that the Milky Way where we live, um, our little subsection of the galaxy, is so vast that God can't measure it, and you and I can't measure it with a, with a meter ruler or miles. Um, we have to measure the Milky Way with something called light years. Now, I'm not very good at science, but this is mind-blowing. Um, did you know that a light year is actually, a light travels at 186,000 uh, meters, miles per second. Go on, I'm getting all my numbers wrong. 186,000 miles per second. That's the speed of light. So a light year is how far light travels in a year. But it's traveling at 186,000 miles a second. So if you really want to know, just to, just, some of you love facts in this room, and some of you, this will just put you to sleep. But it's 5.88 trillion miles that light can travel in a year. 
But that's the, the measurement that we have to use to measure the universe. But the Bible says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and the starry host by the breath of his mouth. Do you know that God's measurement for the universe is his hand? It says that he just uses his hand, about a span of his hand measures the stars in the universe. The distance of the Milky Way, and it's only a subsection of the universe, is 100,000 light years. So if you want to visit someone on the other side of the Milky Way, you've got to go 186,000 miles a second for 100,000 years. That's quite mind-blowing, isn't it? And yet the Bible says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you care for him? That the God who measures the stars like that cares for us. It's just incredible. That God is a God of abundance. There is no limit to the God that we serve and our Father in heaven. But here's a thought. If God is the God of abundance and there's no limit to his supply and he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, how come sometimes with our finances we feel like we're in struggle street? That we feel like there's not quite enough month at the end of the money. That it just feels like we're frustrated all the time by our financial situation. We have on one hand a God who is abundant in every area and promises that he can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And yet on the other hand, we feel like we're just constantly price checking baked beans at the supermarket and getting the cheapest ones. Now I say that because I know what that's like. When we first started pastoring a church, we downsized everything. We downsized our home, we downsized the number of cars we had. <laughs> Some of you are thinking I had 10 and now I had a 9. We, had, we went down to one car, I was on the bus. Every, everything was shrinking and it felt awful. Because you think God isn't like this. He doesn't, he doesn't shrink things down. He wants to expand and enlarge and increase. Like you're taking territory as a church. In your own personal life, he wants to increase and enlarge you. And yet there are seasons where we just feel frustrated. I kind of look at the way we handle money a bit like um, God's plan for the Israelites when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It's really, I love that story. It is, a, it is an incredible story how he breaks their chains and their slavery in Egypt. And he has a place that he wants to take them. It's the promised land. And it's really interesting, when the spies go out to check out the promised land, it's a place of abundance. They describe it like it's a land overflowing with milk and honey. That there was more than enough for the entire people of Israel, but they have to go through the wilderness. And during the wilderness, as they wander around, God provides for them in a miraculous way. Every day... Apart from the Sabbath, they would go out from where they were staying and they would gather up food that had landed from heaven. Now, we kind of romanticize it like it was a Big Mac delivery on their doorstep every morning. You know, it was fries and a burger and they brought it back and they ate it and they, they, they were fine. It was an incredible miracle, but it got very boring for them because it was just bread and birds falling from the sky and it was the same meal every day. But it was a miraculous provision. But here's my question for you. Did God want them to stay in the wilderness or take them to a place that was a place of abundance? You see, in our finances, a lot of the time, we, we're relying on God for a miracle to pay our bills. And we're relying on God to provide a miracle to fund some of the giving we want to do. And we're, we're relying on a miracle for God to provide for us just to get through Christmas and get into the new year. 
And God is able to meet our needs and to provide the miracle. And he does that. And I'm sure that you have come up and given a testimony or heard someone giving a testimony of God's incredible faithfulness and generosity in giving us financial miracles to bless us and show us that he cares for us. But here's my question for you. Do you think God wants you to stay dependent on a miracle? Or do you think he wants to take you to a place where you feel like financially you're free? Where you're actually in a place of abundance where there is more than enough for you and your family, not because God just wants to bless you, but because he wants you blessed so that you can bless other people. See, I I have a conviction that God, no matter where we start from, wants to take us to a place where we are financially free. Where he wants us to, to enjoy a wholeness in our finances. Now, this isn't about prosperity gospel. This isn't about name it and claim it and get rich quick. This is about just doing well with your finances like you want to do well in your health and well in your relationships. It's just being strong financially so that you can be a blessing for other people. But there's some principles that we have to apply. You see, the land that was promised to the Israelites was overflowing with milk and honey. But did they just sit there every day and go, wow, this land's amazing. It's just overflowing with milk and honey. We just hold out the mug, and there comes the milk. Hold out the jar, there comes the honey. Wow, this is just amazing. Peace, love, and this is a promised land. (laughs) They didn't. They had to farm it. They had to sow, and they had to reap, and they had to work. But there was an abundance provided for them through their sowing and reaping. You see, God wants to move us from a place where we're just reliant on a spiritual handout to a place where we've learned financially to sow and to reap so that there's an abundance. And there are some principles in the Bible that help us to get there from where we are today. And I want to share just some very simple things, some very simple thoughts that are really important as we build up to Christmas. Because Christmas, we, do you know that in the, in the UK population right now, most Brits are like hamsters on a financial wheel. And it goes like this. Christmas is coming, and we haven't saved any money. So because we don't want to disappoint the people we love, we get out the credit card, and we buy some presents on the credit card. Particularly Black Friday. We love Black Friday, because everything seems a bargain. What was £1,000 is now only 500 That's pretty cool. That doesn't look quite as bad on my credit card. And then we arrive at Christmas, happy, 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 but then we reach January and we're sad, sad, sad because we suddenly realize that we spent money that we hadn't earned to buy things that we didn't even like, sometimes to impress people that we didn't like either. (laughs) And then we think, okay, now January, got to pay off, pay off, pay off. So we now spend January, February, March paying off the credit card, but then the summer's coming. And we think, wow, we need a holiday. We've been working really hard. We've been working really hard to pay off the credit card. Now summer's coming. How are we going to afford the holiday? I know. Credit card. We'll put it on the credit card. So we put the holiday on the credit card. And then we have the holiday. We get brown. We have a nice relaxing time. And then we come back in September. And we think, gosh, you've got to work hard now because we've got to pay off the credit card. So we pay off the credit card. And then Christmas is coming. You get it, don't you? The average family has £13,500 on credit card. But they only have, one in two adults has less than £100 in the bank account in savings. Just how we do it. We love to spend and borrow 
instead of save and invest. And I wanna show you what the Bible says because it's the wisdom of heaven that we need from our Father in heaven who says, look, you don't have to stay where you need a bailout all the time. You can do some smart things with your money that actually enable you to feel like there's an abundance. And anybody can get there if they do some smart things with their cash. So let me just share a few thoughts for you. Is this okay? <laughs> Good, five of you agree, three of you are asleep, and the rest don't care. <laughs> Here, now look, here's a really, really important verse for you. If, you. if you're making notes, this is the one to really write down. It's Proverbs 21, verse five. Proverbs 21, verse five. And this is my favorite proverb on money in the whole of the Bible. Steady plodding brings prosperity. Hasty speculation leads to ruin. Let me say that again. Steady plodding leads to prosperity. Hasty speculation leads to ruin. Now what's really interesting about that proverb is it doesn't say that prosperity is a bad thing. In fact, it suggests that prosperity is a good thing. Um, Woody Allen actually said prosperity is better than poverty if only for financial reasons. And, and pro the problem is that we, because of people that sort of said, name it and claim it, you can be really prosperous, we've chucked the baby out with the bathwater and we think it's wrong to be prosperous. But there isn't a single verse in the Bible that says prosperity is bad. In fact, it's regarded as a blessing. And there isn't a single verse in the Bible that says that poverty is a blessed thing. It actually is related often to a curse because it, it limits you. So this verse says, steady plodding leads to prosperity. Now here's the problem that we have in Britain. Because we're on this cycle, the hamster wheel of credit card, the only way we think we can be wealthy is put some numbers on a little piece of paper every Saturday and wait for the balls to be picked. And we hope <laughs> or pray that our numbers are going to come up. But I don't think that God wants to work that way. Do you know that most of the people that win the lottery wreck it? They ruin it. In fact, one of the guys that won the lottery, he was one of the early winners, died and no one attended his funeral because all of his relationships were destroyed and his whole life was ruined because he suddenly acquired a huge amount of money, but he'd never learned the character to handle it. And so what God is doing is saying, look, I want to show you some principles, but you've got to plod and you've got to do it steadily. And you've got to keep going. And you've got to keep plodding. And you've got to be really steady. And it may take some time. It, it may take a few years where you have to be disciplined to get to where you really want to be. But it's steady plodding that leads to prosperity, not suddenly money falling from the sky as you lift up your hands. So let me just show you some ways to plod steadily. Now, look, I, I, always, I said to my wife this morning, I said, I don't like going into churches to talk about money because I feel like I'm going to be stoned by the end of it. And, and not in the kind of, you know, the recreational way. <laughs> so hear my heart on this. This is God's word for you to bless you and to prosper you so that you are in health financially. So here's the first thought. We need to get the facts. We need to get the facts about money because we've got to understand how money works. 
So I'd like you to engage with me for a moment. Could you all just stand where you are in, in your places? Just stand up. And then what I want you to do is you can, I want you to stay standing if when you were at school, secondary school, so between the age of 11 and 16 or the age of 11 and 18, however long it took, when you're in secondary school, stay standing if you receive more than five hours on how to manage your money personally. Not economics, not business studies, but just personal financial management. If you have more than five hours, stay standing. One person in the room. Would you mind me asking, sir, what was it you studied at school? What did they teach you? Because, look, you are, you are a, a lone ranger in the room. Fantastic. Although we do have to ask you to leave now because you're beating us at everything at the moment. <laughs> you can take a seat. Thank you so much. So the Australians are not only enlightened at cricket, but they're enlightened in financial education. But isn't it interesting? I did. My favorite subject at school was biology. And I did A-level biology. And we spent two weeks learning how to chop up a rat. It's amazing. Formaldehyde is the smelliest thing on the earth. But it used to keep the rat. And each of our rats had a name on it. So we knew where we got up to. So we could carry on the next lesson. How crazy is that? I don't know why we learned that. Digging around, looking for the liver and the kidney and the intestines. Two weeks this was my financial education. A man from the Midland Bank. Shows you how old I am. Some of you are just wondering, what on earth is that? The Midland Bank used to be what is now the HSBC. He came in, and it was a bit like this. It was in a big assembly, and he said, guys, he gave us all a pen. <laughs> I'd like to show you how to open up a bank account. Who that would be with, I don't know. <laughs> check your pen. And then he said, and I'd like to show you how to write a check. Then he had one of those giant checks. And he showed us how to write it. And then he got out a credit card and he said, you can't use this yet, but this could be your best friend one day. That was what he said. And uh, he said, you know, this is how it works, blah, 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 blah. Then he was off, 15 minutes. So two weeks on how to chop up a rat, 15 minutes on how to spend on a credit card. Since leaving school, I know this is going to be really hard to imagine, I have never chopped up a rat ever since. Ever. <laughs> ever. But I have dealt with money on a daily basis. And it's the same for you. You, you learned Pythagoras' theorem. Now, mass teachers, I know you use it every day, but has anyone else used Pythagoras' theorem since they left school? Words in foreign languages that you've never used again. But we have to handle money every day. So it's really important that we get facts so we understand how the rules of the money game work. Now, my wife isn't with me today. Um, she's not particularly well, but she is very competitive when it comes to playing board games. And... We used to use it um, as a way of getting to know new neighbors when we moved into a new house. And we would invite people over for some food, and then we would get out a board game afterwards and see if they wanted to play. And we had this one game. We got these neighbors in once in Sheffield, and, and we, we brought them over. We got them a nice meal. And then we got out this game called the really nasty horse racing game. Now, it's what it says on the tin. It's really nasty. You each have a horse, and you have a race, but you can smash out the other horses along the way. But what we forgot to do was tell our neighbors the rules of the game. So as we start, we're all really enthusiastic. Well, we did say you've got to finish the race first. That's how you win. But we all know that. As soon as we started, I was horrified. Because my wife just smashed both of their horses off the board in the first... They hadn't even started. They hadn't even begun. She had her go. She wrecked their plan. That was the end of their game. 
I'm thinking, this is not going to plan. We are not building relationship. We are smashing their horses. But you see the difference between someone who knows the rules of the game and someone who doesn't. You, how can you compete with someone when you don't know the rules of the game? And we don't know the rules of the game. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 16, he says, you know, people in the world are wiser with their money than people in the church sometimes because we're not as, we just don't know how it works. And we kind of bury our head in the sand and we think, oh, God will just look after us. So I want to just touch on a couple of principles that might help you. And this is the first one. It's about compound interest. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some maths in church. Is that okay? I get really nervous about this point. <laughs> Definitely stoned at the end of the morning if this doesn't work. So I want to show you compound interest. And compound interest is really just looking at the way money grows um, or equally debt grows. And um, Albert Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He said those that understand it earn it, those that don't pay for it. So I'm going to show you the eighth wonder of the world here in Warrington this morning. You don't have to go to Egypt and see pyramids. You don't have to go to Babylon and see hanging gardens. It's right here on the screen. So you can tell your friends all this week you've seen one of the wonders of the world. Um, it's called the Rule of 72. Can we get that up on the screen? <laughs> it's quite dangerous, isn't it? Um, okay, so let me just show you how this works. I trust that uh, me and the uh, guy doing this projector is in sync. Um, so imagine that you have £10,000 in the bank, and the bank give you 3% interest. Okay? You, that's okay? So you can work out how quickly your money's going to double by taking the number 72. I don't know why it is, it just is, and dividing the interest rate into it. So 72 divided by 3 is 24. So every 24 years, your £10,000 doubles in value. So by the end of 48 years, you should have £40,000. Is that that's up there? <laughs> Good. Now, it sounds quite cool until you put your age where the zero is and then add on 48 years. I'd be 96. No, 94. Tell a lie. 94 years old with 40,000 pounds in my pocket. Woohoo! <laughs> so, so it's not actually working very hard for me. In fact, inflation will probably go faster than that, and I'll have less money than when I started. Now, most people think that if you double the interest rate, you double the amount of money you have. So if we're going to... Oh. Next one. Yeah, great. Um, so 6%. 72 divided by 6 is 12. So 12, 24, 36, 48. Over 48 years, your money doubles four times. So although you've doubled the interest rate, you've quadrupled the amount of money you've got. 160,000 now instead of 40,000. Who feels better about 160,000? <laughs> one of you. Okay, so 160,000. Now, let me show you what the bank does with your money. I used to think that, is there anyone that works in a bank here before I mention all of this? <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay, I feel like I'm in slightly safer territory. So, um, I used to think they put it in the, in the safe under the ground and guard it until you needed it. But that's not what they do. Let's say that Barry and Vicky go into the bank the next day and they say, hey, Mr. Bank Manager, we want a holiday and we want to travel the world, and we need 10,000 pounds. Well, this is what the bank manager thinks. He thinks, yep, great, we've got 10,000 pounds. Roger Davis came in yesterday and put it in. So I'm going to lend them that 10,000 pounds 
but I'm going to charge them for it. So they don't charge 3% that they're giving me on my savings. They're going to charge more. Do you know what a credit card is at a standard rate at the moment? Yeah, 19 or 20%. The ones on the TV are about 35%. Um, Wonga, kind of way off the mark. But let's just give the bank the benefit of the doubt and say they can make 12%. 72 divided by 12 is 6 so their rate of return is doubling every six years with my money to Barry and Vicky. So if we can have the next column. Look how much money they make at the end of 48 years. It's 2.56 million, and they give me back 40,000 pounds and maybe a cuddly toy if I'm lucky. So who has the rule of 72 on their side? Me as the saver? No. Barry and Vicky as the borrowers? No. The one who's investing the money. So this is what the Bible says, and this is Proverbs 22, verse 7. It says that the borrower serves the lender. In fact, it says the borrower is enslaved by the lender. Did you know that mortgage stems from two French words that means death grip? <laughs> And credit cards is just a glamorous way of saying a debt card, because that's what they used to call it until they changed the name of it in their marketing department. So when you borrow money, you are serving someone else's vision rather than the vision for your life. So the first principle, if you understand the rule of this game, is avoid debt and accelerate out of the money that you've borrowed as quickly as you can, because while you're in it, someone else is making money out of you, and this is what is happening. Let's just add up how much you spend on your mortgage, your credit card, your bank loan, your second loan for the car, et cetera, et cetera, and your Debenhams store card. If you add that up per month, maybe it comes to 400 pounds, 600 pounds, that money comes into your bank account and you send it backwards. It's going into your past. You've done it, you've spent it, and now you're having to pay for it. But imagine if you could take all of that money and redirect it so that you send it into your future. So that now you're actually investing that money so that when you arrive at 65 or 67 or whenever you want, that money is waiting for you and it's accumulated because you invested it and got it working for you instead. That's why Albert Einstein said this principle is either working for you or against you. And if it's against you, you're paying for it. And if it's for you, you're making from it. And so it's a really, really important rule of the game. It's about trying to change the direction of the flow of your finance so you can invest as quickly as possible. Now, compound interest has an amazing effect on your investments. But the problem is, because we've never been taught this in school, we never do the maths. So if you had a child when they're born and you put 17 pounds a month away for that child and you could get a rate of return not at 12% but at say around 8% and when that child reaches 18 you say listen this is something I started for you when you were born I want you to just keep putting 17 pounds a month away into that until you're 67. Do you have any idea how much that child would have when they get to 67? Half a million pounds. Now, can, would you be able to retire comfortably on half a million pounds? I would. It just needs 
small steps for a long period of time, steady plodding, until that person becomes 67 years old. It's only 17 pounds a month. Anybody, anybody on our planet in the UK, <laughs> on our planet in the UK, and this in the UK could afford 17 pounds a month. Could they not? A student could afford 17 pounds a month. It's just that we don't realize how powerful 17 pounds a month is over 67 years. So we spend it instead. And when we spent it, we borrow more. Because we think, actually, the way wealthy people is, they have all these lovely things, so I'm going to have them too. But I'm just going to have to borrow the money to get them. But do you know that wealthy people value money far more than that? In fact, they don't have lots of lovely things. They did a study about millionaires' spending habits, and they found that over 50% of them had never spent more than 50 quid on a watch or 100 pounds on a suit because they understand the value of money and how money works. It's the people that want to be millionaires that buy Gucci. Millionaires don't go anywhere near that stuff because they're doing the smart things with their money. I keep, I keep going over here thinking that my notes are here and then forgetting that they're actually in my hand. <laughs> I might learn one day. So it's about changing the direction from being a borrower to a saver and an investor instead of a borrower and a spender. Here's the next thing. Not only get the facts, but get smart. This is what Proverbs 21 verse 20 says. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Just think about what that's saying for a moment. Wise people don't spend everything they have. They store some up. But it says here that if you spend everything that you have or you gulp it down, you're being really foolish. Because you're not making any provision for the rainy day. While the sun is shining and you're making hay, you're just eating it all. <laughs> that falls down. We're not horses. But you know what I mean. On, you know, when, when the sun is shining, when it's a good day, we should be storing some things up for the rainy day for when bad things happen because bad things happen. Bad things happen whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Bad things happen. It's just what life is. It's just the world that we live in. But here the wisdom of Proverbs says, look, wise people store up food and olive oil, but fools, fools gulp their down. In other words, and forgive me if I sound like my grandma, we've got to live within our means. Something happened in the 1980s where suddenly banks were lending us money all over the place and we just went, thank you very much. But before that, it was very hard to borrow money, so people had to live within their means. And often, older generations are much, much better with their money than younger generations, because the younger generations don't have any education, but the banks come at 18 and say, wouldn't you like to travel across Europe? Wouldn't you like to go and do this? Wouldn't you like to go do that? And because we love you so much, here's some money to go and do it. And suddenly that cycle starts, and it's very hard to break. 2 Corinthians verse 9 says that God gives seed to the sower and bread for food. Now, isn't that interesting? Your money is like seed. And you've got a choice of what you're going to do with it. How much of it are you going to turn into bread and eat? And how much of it are you going to sow into the ground for the future? Now, if you met a farmer and you were observing their farming practice, and after harvest, they bagged it all in, and they just turned it all into bread and ate it all, or they got rid of it and sold it, and didn't sow any seed back into the ground for next year, would you be worried? 
you'd think the farmer had lost his marbles, wouldn't you? Because you know, and I know, you've got to sow seed into that ground for the farmer to have a harvest the next year. It's the same with your money. If you turn all of it into bread to eat, then you've got nothing for your future. So what the Bible's saying is store some up and think differently about the way that you manage your money. If we could have the next slide. Should be a pie chart. Yeah. Why don't you just do something a bit different with the way that you manage your money? So I'm sure your pastors have talked about tithing because tithing is a spiritual principle that goes right back to the beginning of the Bible where you are basically honoring the Lord with your wealth and basically making a statement that says, all that I have comes from you. And because it's a covenant deed that you're doing, what God does is say, right, you're coming under my protection now. You're doing money my way. And for some reason, and I don't get this, 90% of our money goes a lot further than 100% when someone doesn't tithe. Because when we don't tithe, God just stands back and says, look, you've made a decision to do it your way. So tithing is where we honor God. So, and, and so many of us are diligent in our tithing. We have it on a direct debit. We send it straight away. As soon as the money hits the bank account, we tithe to our church because that's the place where we tithe to, our local church where we are fed spiritually and where we're built up in our faith. But then what we do, having invested in God's heavenly kingdom, is that we then go and pay Audi and Tesco next. Because we start spending our money and we go and pay Sky TV and we go and pay whoever it is, the cinema. And if there's any money left over at the end of the month, we might then pay ourselves. But what if you were as diligent at paying yourself as you were at tithing? If you also had, on a direct debit, as soon as the money hits the bank account from your payday, you sent another 10% into an emergency fund that you just allowed to accumulate over time and it grew to 1,000 and then it grew to 3,000 and then it grew to 6,000 where suddenly now, when there's a rainy day, you don't have to get out the credit card. You've got money sat in a bank account that enables you to dip into it so that you're okay. And then if you can, put another 10% into your long-term investment that you're sending for your future so that when you arrive there, you've actually got something to help you out in retirement. So if you can afford to, you're, you're spreading your money out so that now you're living off 70% instead of 105. And now, because you're doing it steadily, month by month, year by year, you're getting strong financially because you're doing some steady plodding. But you're being disciplined now in the way that you manage your money. You're getting smart according to biblical principles. Here's another thing to get. Not only get the, get the facts, get smart, get a budget. With your 70%, work out what you're going to actually spend your money on. Budgets are you telling your money where to go so that you don't wonder where it went. So think about Christmas. Why don't you have a budget for Christmas? Decide how much money you're going to spend on food in advance, like now. Decide how much money you're going to spend on presents and decide what your Christmas is going to look like so that you're making some decisions in the cold light of day rather than the emotion of the shopping mall. 
and then get the money out in cash. Unless you're shopping online, because it's really hard to send down the internet. <laughs> but, but make some decisions in advance about where you're going to spend your money so that you're not wondering where it went in the new year. And can I say, as a pastor's heart, the thought really does count when it comes to Christmas. It's not about the size of the gift. It's about the love that you're sending through remembering that person in the gift that you're giving. You don't need to buy the brand new whatever it is to show that you love someone. It's far more loving to be strong financially so that you can keep giving and keep growing and keep enlarging your life through the years rather than just blowing it all out on Christmas and then having to pay it all off in January and February. That, that's, that's just biblical wisdom. So one thing that helps you do the discipline of a budget is get a goal. Have a plan for your future. Actually have a vision of where you want to get to, what it's going to look like, so that when you're making these steps that sometimes hurt, because you're having to be a bit disciplined, you think, yeah, it's pain now for a reward that comes later. You may not be aware of this. They did some research on children. And it was a really cruel experiment. They got kids into a room and they put a marshmallow on the table in front of them. Have you heard this before? Oh, fantastic. You guys are more not. You must read all the research papers that are out there. You're very educated. But isn't it interesting, for those of you that don't know, so what they said to the child was, you can have the marshmallow when I leave the room or when I come back, if you've not eaten that marshmallow, I'll give you two. And so I can't remember the proportions of the number of kids that ate the marshmallow and the number of kids that waited and got two marshmallows. But they didn't just do the study there. They tracked what happened to these children through life. And they found that the kids that were prepared to defer gratification and wait for two if it meant a sacrifice now did better in life than the kids that just ate the marshmallow for the here and now. And it's the same with our money. If we can just delay gratification and think this is a long-term project because I know where I'm going, you're going to be in a much stronger, better position. But you've got to have a goal. You've got to have a sense of where you're going. You've got to know what you're about. And your goal can be more long-term than just getting to the summer and not being in debt. Here's, a, here's just an amazing thought. Rich people plan for three generations Poor people plan for Saturday night. That's quite hard-hitting, isn't it? People who understand how money works, they're not just thinking about next summer holiday. They're thinking, I want to leave a legacy for my kids and for my grandkids, and I want to make sure that what we're doing here is going to affect generations. See, the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. That's, that's big thinking about your goal for your financial future. But when we can't see that picture, all we can plan for is what we're doing next weekend. But if we've got the bigger vision, we'll make the smaller sacrifices now because we understand the power of small steps. Let me just, let me just close with this thought. No one has ever had to take a leap of faith. When Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, he said, it's a small step for man. It's a giant leap for mankind. Did Neil Armstrong make a leap? No, he just made a step. And he made another step. And he made another step. But 
when they all looked back, they thought, that's amazing. We've just put a man on the moon. And it's the same in our lives. You know, the Lord orders the steps of a righteous man, not the leaps. And our lives are about the steady steps that we make with our lives, that as we keep just making small steps, good decisions, wise choices about the way that we handle our money, the way that we handle other areas of our life, like relationships, we look back and we turn around and go, gosh, have you seen how far that we've come? You see, God wants us to prosper in every area of our lives. If you could just put the last slide up, that would be great. In our health, in our relationships, in our finances, in every area. But the Bible says, doesn't it, in 1 John, I wish that you would prosper just as your soul prospers in every area of your life. Our, li- our lives are not in compartments. Everything affects everything else. And the level of our success is dependent on the level of our surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can put the, yeah. That when you say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way, we start to walk in a newfound freedom. See, in relationships, we've got to learn how to forgive. Otherwise, our relationships go sour. In our health, we've got to learn how to eat right so that we can make sure we're taking care of ourselves. Same with your money. You've got to just make some good choices, some smart decisions, some small steps that take you to the place that says, Lord, I surrender. And you know, in conclusion, most of the problems with my money arise because I think my money's mine. When actually we're just stewarding what the Lord gives us on loan. Jesus said in Luke 16, he said, listen, if you can't show that you're trustworthy with money, how can I entrust to you the true riches of heaven? Isn't that amazing that Jesus thinks of money as just this kind of, it's just a small thing, a little test, that as we get good in that, he can trust us in the spiritual gifts of our lives, the things that we really seek and desire. But it's the small steps that lead to that. Just imagine if we could do that, if we could start plodding successfully. Imagine what our churches would look like. There'd be debt-free churches, that they wouldn't be slaves to anyone, that we would be financially independent as churches, ready to give on every occasion, that we'd be transforming our generations and leading them out of the poverty trap and saying, come on, do it our way. And we'll take you to a place where generation upon generation grows stronger and stronger financially because we're making these small steps that lead to great success. Hey, listen, I want to thank you. I do want to commend one thing to you. It's a book that I brought with me. And it's called Your Journey to Financial Freedom. I didn't write it. I've just brought it. But it is a brilliant book. It's sort of magazine style on steps you can take to get into a good place financially. It was written by Jeff Letts. You want to know how to do something, you always call in an expert, don't you? If If I've got a problem with my plumbing, I don't call a mechanic. I call a plumber. If I've got a problem with my car, I don't call a plumber, I call a mechanic. If I've got a problem with my finances, it's always good to listen to a multimillionaire because they're probably pretty good with their money. Would you agree? So this is a book that you can... Now, it's not free. You've got to purchase it. It's £10, but it's an investment into yourself because you're going to actually educate yourself on the principles of the money. And we'll put, I don't know where Tracy is, but she said that she'd sort out a way, Barry, but there's a box of them there that maybe, look, if you, if you want it, you can. If you've got some money to buy it, you can. You can get it on Amazon. It's available on Amazon. It's called Journey to Financial Freedom. But what we can't cover in the space of 40 minutes is in here to take you further onto that journey, um, which I really commend to you.
Would it be alright if I prayed with you? Why don't we stand? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you love us. And you love us so much that you put in, um, in, in our way wisdom from heaven on how to manage our money, how to manage our lives, how to go from strength to strength. And Father, you know where each one of us is at with our finances right now, the challenges that we're facing, the issues that are in our way. I want to pray, Lord, that just from the things we've looked at today, there'd be a deposit of wisdom in our hearts. Lord, there would be a a new desire to live like your children, copying you, finding out your ways and implementing in our lives. You say that your thoughts are so far above our thoughts. So we pray, Lord, help us to think your way. Lord, I pray for those people that do need an immediate financial miracle. I pray this week, Lord Jesus, you would bless them with that, that you would give them the provision of heaven to just rescue their finances again and show them that you are the God who provides and the God who cares and the God who knows. But I want to ask, Lord, that you'd help us all now to start changing the way that we make decisions about our money so that we start to take steps of faith, steps where we sow and expect a return and a harvest, steps where we cut up the credit card and do a bit of plastic surgery and live within our means instead of living beyond our means. Lord, we pray, let us apply these eternal principles that you would lead us to a place where we prosper in our finances so that we would be blessed to be a blessing, ready to give on every occasion because we've learned the heart of heaven that we prosper in our wealth. In Jesus' name.